time to turbocharge your online presence and unlock the true potential of your website's digital journey with the Frictionless Experience. This podcast delves deep into the world of user experience to help you eradicate costly friction. Join us as we dive into website and mobile app optimization to explore how refining your digital playground can become a game changer for your business. This is the Frictionless Experience, brought to you by Blue Triangle. Hello, and welcome to the Frictionless Experience, the podcast where we lay waste to digital friction. I'm Chuck Moxley. And I'm Nick Palladino. On today's episode, instead of talking about the purely customer experience as we often do, we're diving into what it means to build a frictionless experience for employees, and as a result, create a better experience for your customer. Joining us today is Dennis Perpetua. Dennis is the CTO and CXO, or Chief Experience Officer, of Global Digital Workplace Services at Kindrel. Kindrel is the world's largest provider of IT infrastructure services and a company that was formed in 2021 by the spinoff of IBM's infrastructure and services business. Now, Dennis has spent his 25-year career at IBM, but because his expertise has always been in commercial business, he's worked with hundreds of customers deeply embedded into their systems, their culture, and their environment. Dennis, welcome to the Frictionless Experience. Chuck, Nick, thanks for having me. Great. So, Dennis, everybody knows IBM, but probably fewer are likely familiar with Kindrel. Can you give us a little more about Kindrel and what you all do? Yeah, I think um, so. You introduced us as the the world's largest infrastructure services provider, and and we're absolutely that. But specifically, we have six uh, practices that we really center our business around. That is working with customers and providing you know IT services to them. It includes everything from cloud computing to application and AI um, to uh, mainframe uh, network security and digital workplace, which is the space that I'm in. And it allows us to really partner closely with customers to really identify ways that we can help them to achieve their business outcomes. So it's a real uh, opportunity for us as Kindrel, as our own independent company, to really kind of work with customers in new ways that are really tied to their core business. Wow, that, that's, that's amazing. So, so what led you to Kindrel and, and what has been your primary focus during your tenure there? Yeah, so it, it was a really experienced journey for me because one of the things in, in my role, I kind of entered kind of the digital workplace services space from the AI point of view. And I really started with uh, introducing AI into digital workplace services. And then when we were spinning from our, our previous employer into our own independent company, um, I helped a lot of the separation in terms of how we're getting ourselves set up um, to operate as an independent company. Um, at the same time, I was also continuing to work with customers as well. And so what we were able to do is, is turn our own transformation story into a blueprint that we've been able to bring to uh, customers, uh, existing customers and, and new customers, um, and share some of our lived experiences. One of the things I like to identify with that journey for ourselves is that we now have earned empathy. So we talk a lot about empathy of, of, of the employee experience and things of that nature. Well, well, we've now lived it. And so we can, we can say it with credibility that we, we know what we're talking about when we say the employee experience is important. And, and to give people perspective, how many employees do you have? Uh, we're, we're roughly around 90,000. 
Um, and, and, you know, that can, when you have that many employees, it can give or take at any given time. Gotcha. So when you're talking about that transition and the internal shift and the pain and the empathy, you're talking at a very, very large scale. And, and it was a huge transformation as well. As you can imagine, we were, we really modernized our operating stack. We consolidated and operated it. Uh, we consolidated and, uh, um, optimized it. And so we, you know, if you think about it, we went from 1300 to 300 applications, uh, from, from a CIO perspective and, and our CIO has been leading that. And, uh, we're just close to the, the final cutover of all of those applications now. So how many years has that taken? Just shy of two. So um, in, in, in addition to that, we adopted a, a pure Microsoft stack for email and collaboration. We've consolidated uh, a bunch of different tools. We've changed the way we've used old database uh, solutions like Lotus Notes, and now we use SharePoint. So we've, we've really modernized and uh, eliminated a lot of friction from the employee's experience. Gotcha. So now when we talk about employee friction experience, are we talking like my email won't load or my PowerPoint crashed or is it something a little more customer facing? Give us some examples when we talk about this friction and the employee experience. Yeah. I mean, this is the crux of it, right? Um, and, and what that includes is everything from you know, getting out, moving beyond kind of the common issues. Like I, I don't know how to do X or, or my email keeps crashing and really moving beyond more of the business processes, because ultimately with some of the examples I'll, I'll share, you know, the, the whole premise behind eliminating friction from the employee journey or the employee experience is, is really with the intended outcome of improving cons customer or consumer experience. Right. So, there's an end result here that we we identify with this. It's not just that we want to make things smooth. We do, but you know, there's the intention of improve, uh, improving the employee experience, allowing folks to be pr more productive, to uh, attract and retain talent, but also to to drive that out those outcomes for our customers. Um, and so what we t tend to see a lot of times uh, for ourselves and for customers is the reduction of IT service issues. That's a common one, and that's an easy one to talk about. I think those are things that everybody could relate to because we're all users and consumers of IT. So it's really easy to identify. Uh, I hate when my email doesn't load. I hate when my computer crashes, when I plug in this peripheral, whatever that is. And so we do a really good job with that. We, we have a bunch of um, capabilities wrapped around that that we could talk more about. Um, but then going beyond that, it's, it's really looking more holistically about the enterprise as well. And so that gets into a couple of things. It might be the optimization of business processes. It might be automating or orchestrating business processes that may be too difficult to change um, in the short term. So we could put in a facade that orchestrates the various tasks, such as a, a new employee joining uh, the company. We can orchestrate all of the steps involved to get them loaded into the company. Um, and those are those are some of the areas where we really look to 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 try and drive adoption of technology because that real is where that is really where the the benefit of these investments come from because it's allowing again your employees to become much more productive. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting. We had a conversation uh, a month or so ago, and we were talking to somebody at a CEO level about this idea of employee friction. 
And, and his response was, Hey, you know, they're employees. If they don't, you know, if it's friction, if they don't like it, they can go get another job. So I imagine that some CEOs may look at the employee's digital experience as a nice to have, but not essential to the, to the things they care about, like revenue and profits. How do you address that perception that investing in improving the employee's digital experience will somehow translate to the key business metrics like profitability that the CEO does care about? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a great question. And I, and I think it's a really important one to discuss. And I'm not going to comment on that point of view that, you know, if an employee doesn't, if the employee's experiencing friction, tough, go go somewhere else, um, especially with it being an anonymous quote. Uh, but <laughs> what I will say is I, I do, I definitely do see a split. I, I, and I'd say I see probably, um, I'd say, uh, I'd see probably a 40-60 split on C-suites that in the 40% that do see experience as an important aspect of business. There's a lot of statistics out there. That actually, the last statistic that I saw that, that, that um, surveyed C-suites, it was close to about a 40-60 split. So that's roughly what I see. And that I've seen, I've read statistics that back that up. The thing though that I'd say has also started to become much more popular is within the last two years, year and a half, two years, is there's more statistics that show why this is important. And if you take a step back and you look at the, if you look outside of just our individual companies and you look at the world as a whole, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, global concerns, whether it be the economics, whether it be um, conflicts going on around the world, if it, it be sustainability, you know, whatever side of the fence you take on these issues, there is uncertainty. There is a level of uncertainty. And at the same time, there is a shift in the consumer market as well. You know, there's a lot of statistics talking about how um, younger generations buying behaviors are, are are taking into account uh, different aspects around sustainability or, or experience, wanting to buy from companies they feel good about. And so these are things that factor in first. And then the other piece is um, how do you actually tie and measure the employee experience to those business outcomes? And that's, that's probably the key. And that's, that's the point of view I take with the 60% of the C-suites that have not bought into employee experience being valuable. That's the area where I say, well, let's see if we can trace that. Let's see if we can eliminate some of that friction from the employee's experience so they can be more productive, so that they can um, improve their your customer's experience. And part of that, and one of the things that's that's a bit short-sighted on, on a statement saying, well, if they hit friction tough, is I said I wasn't going to comment on that, but um, the, the, the cost of replacing talent is much higher. You know, acquisition of talent is significantly higher than just moving so, removing some of the friction that they may be having. And on the backside of that, obviously, you're getting a happier, more productive employee that's better able to serve your customers. So in a, in a situation where you have a directly measurable, um, I guess, KPI, such as like a chat agent, it, you, can, you can directly measure that as a customer benefit if the chat experience is better. It is very easy to track that all the way down. But how do we then elevate that um, and turn that into a business? 
business positive, a revenue positive mentality of employee experience when it's not so direct? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really um, key to start with in terms of that question, that's a broad question and, and that we could, we could probably kind of hit in a bunch of different areas with, but you mentioned the word KPIs and I think we'd be remiss or I'd be remiss not to start with kind of explaining this idea of experience level agreements or XLAs. And, and that's an area that is, I, I would say is emerging, you know, it's been around for a, for many years now. Um, and we see um, more and more customers uh, starting to ask about it, being being inquisitive. What's this XLA thing? Um, you, the, it's very popular with analysts. You know, you can't have a conversation with an analyst that is not including what's your strategy around XLAs. And one of the things that I've noticed, and and, you know, I feel like I'm, potentially giving away a, a secret on this one. But you know, when we started to roll out XLAs, we started to look into the industry and started to see, well, how are these being created? Uh, you know, there's confusion around, is it an XLA or is it an SLA? How are we going to pe penalize or reward for achieving those things? Um, all those things were, were happening a few years ago. Now what we, we tend to see is, um, a real focus on just applying an XLA to the services being provided, the, the individual discrete service. And that that's fundamentally where I think there's a big mistake being made around XLAs. And so the, the, the approach that we took in Kindrel is really a much broader holistic view of the XLA, regardless of what uh, or who is delivering the service, it needs to be measured from the perspective of the end user or for the perspective of the employee or the customer. And, and that is, is why I wanted to start with that to your question, which is how do you actually get into um, identifying, you know, the indirect benefit to your, to your bottom line. When you define an XLA, you look at the business processes that are important to you that are, that are aligned to your corporates, the corporation's strategic imperatives. So when you come out and you set your strategy for the year, you say, all right, what are my KPIs for that strategy? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what industry, you're going to have a strategy. There's going to be some KPIs you know, attached to it. At that point, you then start to identify what your XLAs are for those things. And then you can start to identify which telemetry and what sentiment you need to start pulling back. And then at that point, you can start to identify what is the way you can actually start to correlate that employee experience to those business outcomes. And, and I think fundamentally, when we talk about XLAs, that piece is kind of missed. You know, that, that, that's the part that most folks don't understand or talk about enough. And I, I personally think if you're not talking about that enough, you're really talking about a CSAT or an NPS score. And the, the way XLAs differ is by taking in that sentiment, taking in the telemetry, the, the quantifiable telemetry, and then aligning that to your business outcomes uh, to make sure that everything is, is working in the way you're hoping to and helps guide your investments year over year. Can you give us an example of that where you've done that and helped a client, for example, maybe establish their XLA? What was the process you were measuring? How did you quantify it, et cetera? Yeah, it's a, it's, um, a, a question we get a lot. And, and the most common answer to that question is the employee joiner process. So uh, I mentioned in the beginning when we, when we build orchestration across business processes, 
Uh, the employee joiner process is a popular space. We also start with that space around um, XLAs as well. And so you, the, every company's employee joiner process is a little bit different. It's a little bit more nuanced. And it could vary based off of how laptops are being provided, how IDs or badges are being created, how IDs are being added to, say, Active Directory or an identity and access management system. You know, whatever those steps are, they usually range anywhere from a dozen to two dozen steps. And you know, the, the, the better processes include you know, coaching that gets the employee up and running quicker, that you know, provides a mentor to them right away to learn how to navigate the company, all of those things. So, so these processes, anywhere between a dozen, two dozen steps. And what we tend to do is we sit down, we understand what that business process flow is. We map it out. You know, it's, it's, it's not, there's no secrets here. It's basically, all right, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, you map it out. You put some silly road design behind it. So it looks like you're on a journey and um, you start to identify which ones are the most difficult or painful for for an employee or a hiring manager, you identify which ones can be uh, impediments to the next ones. So things that have lots of dependencies baked around to it. Um, and anything that may be uh, you know, deemed as vital for, for the employee to get up to speed quickly. And so what you then do is you start to look at, well, what's the telemetry we can pull in that regard? And then how do we capture sentiment associated with it? And so, um, two examples of that might be when an employee's joining, how easy it for the manager to submit that request. You know, you, the, the manager has got a heavy lift there to, to usher the employee or many employees through that process all at once. Another one is, um, and this is, this is a first impression. This is, this is a company's first impression to an employee. And so just think about the hybrid workplace where, we're shipping them laptops. They get a laptop. They're really excited. You know, how was that? You know, they did it take two days? Was it two weeks to get that laptop? When they got it, were they able to turn it on and feel like they're a part of the corporate culture immediately? Um, yeah, I've heard stories where folks get laptops and they they haven't they they haven't been able to touch them because they haven't had their IDs. So, you know, making sure those things are are uh, making the employee feel as though they're they're a valued new member of the company. Um, so taking that telemetry, pulling it back, and then and then including surveys associated with the telemetry. What's really important is that quantifiable data that we pull back from that business process is married up with qualifiable data or uh, qualitative data that highlights whether or not the sentiment around those steps were important. And um, just a, a real quick example of of how this can ultimately work we we're working with one, one customer that ran into a similar process a joiner process they had retained the procurement and supply chain of the laptops to the employee well coming out of you know the last couple of years there were supply chain shortages so they ran into problems and we saw in that situation the xla was dipping we dug into it we saw the xpis or the experience performance indicators that were tied to supply chain being the ones in, in impacting the overall XLA. And, and we were able, we didn't own that process. The customer had retained it, but we said, Hey, you know what? We have some, some laptops we can use to help you 
alleviate the burdens of the supply chain. And so what we find valuable about the XLAs is it just helps us work with the customer in a way that helps them achieve their business outcomes more effectively. So, and and this might not be a shareable uh, concept, so feel free to tell me to table it. Uh, but can you share what that XLA was? Like what, what was the actual metric that said it's down? Yeah, yeah. So it was tied. Well, it was it, that that's qu- quite simple. I mean, it, it was tied to um, shipping delays. So that that telemetry in that situation, there was um, there was at the time. I'd like to explain why this this was the case, but at the time there was four XPIs on the employee joiner XLA. And it was about a 15-step process. So we had four XBIs. We were pulling four bits of telemetry from the, the overall process. One of those XPIs was, what is the duration it's taking between um, the, the order being placed for the device and the employee receiving it? And so it, that's a very easy one, right? You, you can It's very tangible. You, you see it right away. Um, now... The reason why I said I, I wanted to explain why there's four on a 15-step process is because when you get started, you don't need to have every step instrumented. It's important to get started with the XLA. And so you can iterate on that. And so you know, it may be a 15-step process. You may start with four. You may grow to eight. You may grow to nine. You don't need to instrument everything. They're, they, they're meant to be indicative of the overall experience, not measure every gate along the way. And so it's something that you can constantly improve upon. And that's a really important concept with an XLA is it's really meant for continuous improvement. How big of an opportunity is addressing friction in the employee's digital experience, in your opinion? What's the what's the financial opportunity or the for a company? What how does that all translate? Well, I, I won't quote numbers, but they're they're you know, quite large. And when you start to do your own research on, on what, um, because, and the reason why I won't quote numbers is because there's lots of different slices you could take and, and it could differ by industry. It could differ in a, a variety of places, but you know, if you look at, for example, experience management platforms or experience management services, um, the, uh, compounded annual growth rate of that is, is, very high, um, you know, in the twenty percent over the next ten years, um, it's in the hundreds of billions of dollars over the next you know ten years. So there's quite a big focus on that from a market opportunity perspective. That's great. That's fine, right? I mean that that's that helps with the business case. That that helps shift why this is important from a, a service provider point of view. What's more important to me though is really why is this important to uh, the employees themselves or the, 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 the corporations themselves, you know, the, the C-suite that is looking to implement experience. And that really kind of speaks to the business case around the cost to replace an employee lost productivity by just having friction. It speaks to competitiveness and how well that employee is able to serve a, serve a customer. Um, and, and the phrase I use a lot, I've, I've used this publicly. So, you know, if you've heard me say this before and you're rolling your eyes at it, I apologize. But, you know, the mantra that I kind of use is smiles, but get smiles. And so if, if you're able to make your employees happy, if you're able to make them um, 
you know, kind of zealots of your company, they will in turn make your customers zealots of that company as well. And, and so there's, there's kind of this transcendent, you know, um, you know, quality to this. It's time to turbocharge your online presence and unlock the true potential of your website's digital journey with the frictionless experience. This podcast delves deep into the world of user experience to help you eradicate costly friction. Join us as we dive into website and mobile app optimization to explore how refining your digital playground can become a game changer for your business. This is the Frictionless Experience, brought to you by Blue Triangle. It also helps build a brand as well. And and beyond just saying the customers are then uh, benefiting, but the brand benefits because if, if I'm constantly going around and saying, hey, I appreciated everything that ever happened for me at Home Depot, that is a positive message. And that's the truth, frankly, but that is a positive message that continues to just grow, right? And it's part of that company culture and part of everything that matters. And so as you're kind of coming through, that also matters for from a customer level as well, just that word of mouth and that positive experience. If if you as a customer continue to hear from employees of any specific brand that it is a great experience on the inside, you want to support that company. It's a it's a good feeling in the heart, and that's what ultimately matters. Yeah, you know, I I I think that's a great point, and and one of the things uh, that it makes me think of, or, or recently, is you can actually kind of two things. One is you you tend to remember if you grew up playing sports at all. You, you tend to remember every loss and forget every win. And, and, and that's, that's a, a similar concept with, with customer service. You know, you forget how, you, you know, you, you kind of just lump all of the great experiences into one and say, I've always had great experiences here. But as soon as you have that one negative one, that permeates your, 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 your thoughts around that company. Um, and that's a really important element to keep in mind around building your brand as you put it and and i think um you know that 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 to me is the the overarching kind of piece to this which is you know it's really easy to um you kind of mess mess up your your brand if this isn't a focus for you well, and if you want to marry the concepts, Nick, going back to your example at Home Depot, your positive experience as an employee there might have led you to refer other people, other quality people who might have gotten a job there, right? So it, it's it's not just the brand on the consumer side, but the ability for companies to attract talent and to uh, recruit, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, e- even beyond that, just the positive experience I have just as a, a good vibe. Like if, if someone's choosing to pick a brand and they know that the employees are treated well at A versus B, you know, that could sway them. Yeah. If, if I could just add, you know, one thing that I think is important is nobody, nobody wants to be, to feel as though they're a commodity or, or it doesn't matter if they're an employee or, or a customer. And I think you know, there's been a push to uh, around services or, or goods and services, everything to, you know, can we get it cheaper? Can we get it cheaper? Can we get it cheaper? And that that's fine. I mean, that's important. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case, 
but we don't want it to be done at the expense of quality or treating anybody like a commodity. And, and I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example, right? So we run um, an extraordinarily large service desk for customers. It's kind of a, a BPO business where a customer can say, you know, when, when one of our employees has a problem with their IT services, we'd like them to call you and you fix it for them. Great. Um, highly competitive. It is a um, very uh, difficult business to be in because you're, you, it's a high volume of calls. You know, you're trying to, to, to solve a lot of problems in the short amount of time. Um, and, and if you're not careful, everybody kind of starts to feel like a commodity in that space. The agents do, the folks calling do, you know, nobody wants to feel like you're getting rushed off the phone so that they can take the next customer's call. And so one of the things that we've, <clears throat> we've really done and we've really focused on is one, how do we drive those efficiencies? So those are important. Automation helps with that. When, when somebody calls up, we know who they are. We actually have information on where the, they're, where they're hitting some friction. Uh, we were able to collect data from the environment so that we're making the agent more intelligent as soon as they're saying hi to the person. Um, we treat them like a customer. We connect them to the last agent they spoke with. So regardless of what role in a company you have, you're able to actually speak with the last agent, and maybe start to drive some rapport over a period of time, or maybe maybe remember your dog's name. Um, and then you know the other piece is regardless of how well we do that, it's quite simple. When you're getting off the, the phone with somebody, you know, we make sure that we have our agents to just do one simple thing, just say, is there anything else we could do for you today? Yeah. And, and it's, it's these simple, small things that can go into making a, a, a one big thing, no pun intended with the uh, book over your left shoulder. That's hilarious. The, the one way I really relate to your, your comments, and I'm sure a lot of people share the sentiment, but that that idea to get me connected to the same agent that's so cool because i so often either have to call back and then you have to tell the whole story again and you know get this new person caught up and it's like holy cow can't i just go get back to the same person to be able to just you know have a simpler experience and as a customer if if i knew that i had a a means to get back to that same agent in a meaningful quick automated fashion that's a huge win on both the employee side and the customer side yeah there's obviously logistics logistical challenges around that um but you know it's something that that we've implemented that uh customers like a lot um our agents like a lot because they're able to kind of follow up there's a sense of satisfaction for the employee for the agent that's able to say you know i took this full stop Right, they're able to to drive it full stop. The other thing, though, that's that's also really exciting is you you mentioned you have to repeat the whole thing over, right? Um, one of the things that that we've done, we've actually we actually have a couple solutions around this, um, both internally and then we work with some vendors that have, have built this, which is using generative AI to summarize a call, so that if you for some reason, weren't able to speak with your last agent. The shift was over. You're calling in the middle of the night, whereas earlier you called at a different time. Um, we use generative AI to actually get that agent up to speed quickly, based off of the previous conversation they had with somebody. We try and treat, you know, the t 
ticketing database, if you will, as more of a customer relationship management database where we're storing more information about that person and really personalizing that experience. What other ways are AI kind of impacting this in terms of customer experience? I mean, employee experience. Yeah, no, it, well, it's both, right? I mean, it, you know, and and there's a lot of funny stories. I, you know, I think I think there's a lot of risk with generative AI in terms of not not the not the tinfoil hat type of risks, but more of the you know s- stepping over a dollar to pick up a dime type risks of picking the right use cases. Um, the things that I enjoy the most personally is around kind of personalization um, of the experience for the end user. And you know, there is ways, um, there is a, a lot of of um, focus on using generative AI to reduce some of the easier problems from an environment or streamlining things. But the more interesting things that we see is is ways to improve employee productivity with generative AI. That that to me is is really ex- exciting. Personalization of the experience is really exciting. Being able to take that information and pile it into to to uh, one experience. Yeah, I'm kind of reluctant to mention any particular technology that's that's using that, but it's hard not to talk about Microsoft Copilot and what that's doing. Of uh, Microsoft 365 Copilot, there's a, several Copilots. But the ability for that to really tailor um, and improve employee productivity is, is huge. Um, the ability for that to also personalize it is is quite huge. And so that is, I think, uh, the technology that is is most exciting in terms of taking generative AI and improving employee experience at the moment. Gotcha. So what are some initiatives that you think companies should be prioritizing in 2024 to alleviate friction within their employee experience? I think, um, you know, there's, there's probably three things that I would say. One of them is uh, leveraging employee data to understand the health of the overall enterprise. And, and this is often overlooked, right? We, we tend to look at it and say, well, you know, the the data that comes from an employee's device is not as important as the data, say, coming from a server or from an application, and and I think that's a big miss. Yeah, and and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because servers used to cost thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and a device used to cost you know fifteen hundred to two thousand, and so therefore, just in the the cost of the the device alone, you know, the data must not be that important. But the cost of that employee on the other side of that device is massively important, and and that should level the the the, the table the level the playing fields a little bit. The employee sees how well your cloud how well your cloud is is functioning. The employee sees how well your network is. It, it sees if your security is good or bad or impeding them, um, and and that that's really probably the the most underrated data that is sitting in organizations today you know tapping into how the employees are experiencing the enterprise is much more valuable to me than monitoring you know whether or not a server is up or down or file systems are filling or log files are doing x because you're seeing the business impact right away and you're able to correlate it right away based off of the the job function of that employee 
Uh, so that's one. Uh, they get faster as we go. Um, yeah, the, the, the second one is, is probably uh, XLAs and making sure that you're starting to, to dip your toe in those. Doesn't have to be everything is is instrumented and metered, um, but starting to pick a couple of places where you can start to identify what telemetry you want to pull back, how it's being correlated to business outcomes, and how you can actually derive some sentiment from the employee, so you can start to look at it holistically. One, two, three of those in 2024 is is a good place to start, and then the third is is how generative AI can come in and and kind of help improve overall experience as well. So how are you actually coming in and leveraging the data in your organization to make your employees more productive? I think there's a little bit of a misconception around generative AI. You know, we see these examples and it's amazing, right? You stick it onto these data sources and it can give you all these answers back. Well, you know, a lot of data sources in the enterprise are not clean. They don't have data loss protection policies. They haven't been tagged appropriately. Your role-based access isn't set up correctly. So all of those things are prerequisites to being able to really capitalize on the value of generative AI. And those are things that, that need to be started now to be able to actually deploy generative AI into your organization to make your, you know, kind of superpower your employees, if you will. So, so you prevent, say, uh, your employees using AI getting access to everybody's salaries, for example. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> more important, more importantly, uh, you know, what the financial results are before they're posted to to Wall Street, right? <laughs> true, true. We get some stock tips going, some uh, trading going. Gotcha. So, so what is this? Has all been very fascinating. What's one widely held belief in creating frictionless employee experiences that you fundamentally disagree with? Um, one fundamental belief around creating employee experiences that I I disagree with. I think you, I'm now now that you just baited me into to commenting on the on the yeah the these prior comment. I, I would say that's the biggest one. I, I just. Yeah, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share why I think you know there's there's an opportunity to really understand from a HR perspective what the value of this is. And if you look, there's a lot of statistics out there by various analyst groups, HR analyst groups, that will will highlight you know the when you improve the employee experience, you you will increase the retention of that employee. You will, and and to me, given the previous comment, I, I need to say, you're going to retain that talent, right? And, and you know, I, it's it's an unfortunate statement to, to say that, you know, not to refer to as your employees as your talent, right? That's your talent. That's your brand at the end of the day. And so I, I think that's probably the biggest thing is is not looking at your employees as as um, valuable assets towards your brand and and look at them as talent. All right, what's one final thought you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I think uh, you know the the most important thing is the association of this to your brand and the opportunity that exists by, by getting started with it. You know, it doesn't have to be a full-fledged program. You don't have to appoint a, a CXO. I work with a lot of customers that have created uh, vice presidents of experience that are 
working across all of the various organizations to break down um, business line silos. Um, but you know, if you start getting, you don't have to do all of that. But when you, if you just start to get started with this in, in 2024, you start to look much more holistically at your business. And so beyond all of the things we spoke about, it actually does drive operational efficiency for your organization. And, and I think that's, that alone is enough reason to look at this and say, you know, I should probably look at this from an experience perspective because, um, you know, form follows function. Gotcha. Well, great conversation, Dennis. Where can listeners find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? If you go out to kindrel.com and you look at the, the digital workplace services uh, webpage, uh, we're out there. So it's uh, K-Y-N-D-R yl.com and anybody can always feel free to reach out to me at my email address at dennis.perpetuatekindrel.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Frictionless Experience. Remember to follow us on your favorite podcast player apps. You can automatically receive notifications when we upload new episodes every other Monday and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think and what topics you want us to cover in future episodes. We'd be happy to cover anything that might be causing you friction. And of course, you can always find and connect with Nick and me on LinkedIn. Today, Dennis discussed the importance of creating a frictionless experience for employees, eliminating friction from the employee journey to improve productivity and customer experience, and the use of experience level agreements and generative AI to improve overall experience and productivity. To recap, here are three frictionless ideas to take the smooth path to trust and loyalty. Number one, eliminating friction in the employee experience requires focusing on optimizing business processes, automating tasks, and a driving adoption of technology to make employees more productive. He shares how Kindrel with 90,000 employees, has undergone a huge two-year transformation, modernizing, consolidating, and optimizing their operating stack, going from 1,300 to 300 applications and adopting a suite of Microsoft solutions for collaboration. Number two, tying and measuring employee experience to business outcomes is key to convincing the 60% of the C-suites who do not see its value. Dennis talks about the business case around employee friction, such as the cost to replace talent and lost productivity, and expressed the need to implement experience level agreements, quantify and solve gaps in their experience. Number three, to improve employee experience in 2024, Dennis recommends leveraging employee data to understand the health of the overall enterprise, identifying technology or applications to pull back, correlating it to business outcomes, and deriving sentiment from employees to improve productivity. Lastly, a huge trend or initiative in 2024 that Dennis highlighted is using generative AI to reduce friction and personalize experiences. While there may be concerns about AI replacing humans, Dennis points out the reality is that AI presents new opportunities for innovation and higher value work. Thanks for joining us on the Frictionless Experience. We hope you've gained valuable insights to fuel your digital success. Your frictionless journey is just beginning. For more episodes filled with expert strategies and a sprinkle of digital magic, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep optimizing, keep slaying friction, 
and keep embracing their frictionless revolution. 